Before we get into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that I am looking for 50 people with Hashimoto's. If you have been diagnosed in the last 10 years and you feel lost or confused about exactly what to do, then I want to invite you to join me for a free training call on Thursday, May 16th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern, where I will show you how to support your thyroid for your thyroid type and your specific Hashimoto's triggers. You will also find out how to lower your thyroid antibodies and how to get to the bottom of all of your thyroid symptoms, the weight gain, the fatigue, the brain fog, the inflammation, the hair loss. Please go to inatoppler.com slash Zoom call to register, and I will send you all of the call details. I only have room for 50 people, so please be sure that you register at inatoppler.com slash Zoom call and get your spot right now. Meet Sally. She's 41, and for the last year, she's been feeling tired. It's been getting harder and harder to wake up in the morning, and she snoozes multiple times, even though she's getting eight hours of sleep each night and reports sleeping well overall. She's also feeling a slump in the afternoon, and by 6 p.m., she's ready for bed. She's tried different vitamins like B12 and iron, as she heard that those can help with energy, but didn't really notice a difference. After talking to her mom, she found that her mom had a thyroid issue when she was younger, and so did her grandmother. She read about the thyroid, and since so many thyroid issues can run in families and thyroid is responsible for energy, she thought she had found her answer and knew something must be going on there. So she saw her doctor and asked to check her thyroid and was really excited to start to support it. But after the results came back, her doctor told her her thyroid is completely normal and that was not her issue. She was really disappointed because now she was back at square one with no answers. That is when she came to see me. She brought all of her blood test results from the doctor, and I saw that her TSH, one of the main thyroid markers that's typically tested, was in fact normal at 1.5, and her free T4, which is another thyroid marker, was also completely normal at 1.2. However, nothing but those two markers were tested, so I knew we had to dig deeper to find out where her lack of energy was coming from, and if it could still be her thyroid, even though her doctor said it was normal. We needed to find a few missing pieces to solve this health mystery. Every year, thousands of people are told there's no explanation for their health concerns and no way to fix them. They feel frustrated, undermined, and lost. I know because that was me before I figured out the actual causes and reclaimed my health. Now, I help others do the same. I'm Ina Toppler, and this is Health Mystery Solved. We just heard about Sally. I knew there had to be a reason for her fatigue and had a gut feeling that even though her thyroid seemed normal, there was still something going on there. So I sat down with Dr. Justin Marcajani, a virtual functional medicine doctor, the author of The Thyroid Reset, and the host of the recent Thyroid Reset Summit. He's extremely knowledgeable in the functional medicine space and how everything in the body is connected and works together biochemically. He gets a little technical in the interview because there's just so much to know about the thyroid. So hang in there. There's some really great information. And at the end, I will tell you how I solved Sally's fatigue. I started the interview 
by asking him to explain the role our thyroid plays in the body. So let's do a little physiology at A&P kind of recap. So your thyroid gland sits kind of right below like your Adam's apple. On a woman, it may be less prominent, but just kind of start your hand, like run it down the bottom of your chin, and you feel that first bump. If you go down a centimeter and out a centimeter, that's going to be your thyroid gland. And your thyroid gland produces thyroid hormone, which actually increases your metabolism, right? Metabolism is like a fancy word for like the sum of all chemical reactions in your body. But if we have lower metabolism, what happens is we tend to feel tired, we tend to feel cold, we tend to maybe have slower motility, we tend to feel moody, we tend to feel depressed. There's a lot of symptoms that can happen when thyroid is low. Hair loss as well. Your, your hair follicles need thyroid hormones. So when you decrease your metabolism, all these things start to go haywire. And this hormone that's produced by your thyroid is a hormone called T4. And T4 is relatively inactive, about three to 400% more inactive. It gets converted downstream to T3, which is a more active thyroid hormone. This T3 conversion is interesting because it happens at lots of different sites in the body with your with healthy adrenal function, gut function, liver function, detoxification uh, at the thyroid with healthy nutrition. So there's a lot of variables and most people in the conventional med medicine side just kind of assume, okay, your T4 is good, your TSH is good, you're, you're set. But there's a lot of assumptions that are made when you look at the true physiology and biochem of the uh, thyroid gland itself. Yeah, thank you so much for explaining that because this is exactly what was happening with Sally. Yes. Sally had her doctor test TSH and T4 and she went to several doctors and the same thing. Her TSH was completely normal. T4 was completely normal. But we were really thinking, okay, well, something is still going on because her major symptom was fatigue. And like you said, that is one of the major thyroid symptoms. And there's so many, I think people don't realize how many symptoms uh, we can have when we have hypoactive thyroid. So tell us a little bit about uh, TSH and why is that not enough? TSH is actually a brain hormone, okay? It's made by the pituitary. It talks to the thyroid gland to make thyroid hormone. If we go upstream to the pituitary, I'm sorry, to the hypothalamus, the hypothalamus is really above the pituitary. Hypothalamus, you have this hormone called TRH, which is thyroid releasing hormone that's produced. That talks to the pituitary to make thyroid stimulating hormone. Pituitary produces about nine other stimulating hormones that talk to the female hormones, talk to uh, all different parts of the body, um, growth hormone, et cetera. That TSH talks to your thyroid to make thyroid hormone. Your thyroid then makes T4, relatively inactive. T4 then gets converted to T3, which is your relatively more active thyroid hormone in the body. And of course, we have metabolic break hormones such as reverse T3, which kind of clog up the receptor sites and can actually throw a monkey wrench in that plan. So in general, there's a, there's a lot of different dominoes that have to happen for healthy thyroid hormone. And when your doctor just tests TSH, remember that's a brain hormone, not a thyroid hormone. Right. So if someone has a normal TSH, it doesn't mean that thyroid is actually functioning okay. We also have to define what is normal too, right? Because most doctors will say four and a half, five and a half TSH is okay. But we know functional wise, there may be a more narrow range for that. Oh, that's a great point. Can you just talk a little bit more about that and what the difference is between the ranges versus the more optimal ranges and for TSH, where you would like to see it versus what's on the lab? Right. Great question. So 
TSH, like typical range, is usually 0.5 to 5.5. If you're on the East Coast, I always tell patients that has like they have like a a five or 5.2. The easiest cure for for high TSH is just, or if you're on the West Coast, which is the normal range is four and a half, just fly to the East Coast. Now the range is five and a half, and you're cured, right? <laughs> I wish it was that easy, but typically the range that I go by is the American Clinical uh, Society of Endocrinologists, ACE for short, and they like the range of 0.5 to 2.5. If people go above 2.5, especially three, we start to get a little bit more curious, especially if there is thyroid symptoms, cold hands, cold feet, mood issues, uh, bowel issues, high cholesterol. Um, we'll kind of, we'll look a little bit deeper downstream to see how those dominoes that fall after TSH, T4, T3, reverse T3, even thyroid antibodies are actually functioning. Right. And I'm just going to, um, I want to make sure that my listener really hears that with the TSH, if you're above 2.5, even if your doctor says it's okay, you may want to really look into that further, especially if you have symptoms. Um, so a 3, 3.5 can be an issue. Correct. And then the great mimicker of thyroid issues is adrenals. Uh, weakened adrenals, you know, low adrenal function or adrenal dysfunction, fatigue, whatever you want to call it, can mimic low thyroid symptoms. That's really important. And that's why a good functional medicine doc will look at the thyroid, especially if there's cold hands, cold feet, hair loss, and especially if you're a female and you have autoimmune issues in your family. Remember Hashimoto's, which is the autoimmune condition that can cause low thyroid primarily, is one of the most common, common autoimmune conditions in females in general. I think it's like it's something like um, one out of five women may have Hashimoto's. It's something insane. Yeah. And for people who may not be familiar, Hashimoto's is when you have elevated antibodies and your immune system is actually attacking the thyroid. And in some cases, the TSH may be okay. In some cases, it may not. Um, you know, and in Sally's case, we did test her. Her TSH was actually 1.5. So it was even within this sort of optimal range. We tested her antibodies just to make sure, and they were negative. Um, but what what was interesting in her case is that while her T4 was okay, her T3 was actually low. And until I saw her, no one has tested her T3. And it, it took a little bit of, you know, priding and pushing to kind of get that level. But we got her T3 and her total T3 was actually 75 and her free T3 was 2.3. So can you tell us a little bit about T3, what it does in the body, how we convert from T4 to T3, what's important there? First off, let me go upstream. So we have TSH, that talks to your thyroid, that makes T4. T4, what is T4? It's tetraiodothyronine. There's four molecules of iodine bound to this, this uh, tyrosine compound. And that get that goes through this deiodinization process. Deiodinization means it's pulling off an iodine molecule with the special enzyme that's selenium-based. So we need this important selenium that cleaves off that fourth molecule of iodine, making the metabolic activity of that hormone go up three to 400%. Now it becomes T3, right? T3 is triiodothyronine, right? Tri for three, iodo meaning three molecules of iodine, and then thyronine, typically thyroglobulin mixed with tyrosine. So this is now our active T3. We like the reference range typically to be in the you know upper 50%, upper 25%, typically above three. So I think it's our patient is Sally, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Being at the 2.3, 2.2 level, that's in the bottom 10% of the reference range. So that's really concerning if we want optimal hormone function for Sally. Yeah. And her total was also very low as well. It was very only low. at 75. Yeah. 75. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And anything below 72 is out of the range. And remember that range 
you know, makes up 95% of the population, right? So there's two and a half percent. Once you go outside of this, the two standard deviations, it's two and a half percent on the high, two and a half percent on the low. So there's a, a big assumption when you look at thyroid ranges that 95% of the population is healthy. And the problem is we know that's not true because go look at an airport. Are really 95% of the people that walk by you healthy, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe 50%, maybe 30%, depending on where you live, right? Maybe if you're in, you know, California, maybe people, people are more healthier, maybe in other parts they're not, right? It just depends on kind of where you're at, but definitely not 95%. So we need to pick these ranges up and make them more narrow. And also people that have thyroid dysfunction get tested more. So it kind of widens the range. It kind of skews it a bit. That's a great point. Yeah. So it's really important to pay attention to those optimal ranges. So now that we know the testing and you know, we know for Sally that it's T3 that is in fact her issue, what are some of the things that you would recommend for people that have this conversion issue from T4 to T3? Because like you were saying, it's really not a true kind of thyroid issue, if you will, right? Because the thyroid is stimulating, um, you know, being stimulated to produce T4. It's more that the conversion is not happening. So can you talk a little bit about that and some of the things that can help? Yeah. So when we look at that conversion issue, the really important, the three-dimensional thing we have to look deeper at is going to be the adrenal glands because the adrenals make cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone. We also produce cortisol rhythmically throughout the day. So if we have rhythm imbalances with cortisol, if we have elevations of cortisol or low cortisol, that can create um, issues with thyroid conversion. Of course, if we have gut issues, a lot of the core nutrients we need to convert thyroid hormone, we talked about that selenium based enzyme called deiodinase, if that um, those, those nutrients are low like selenium and magnesium and zinc and certain B vitamins and of course vitamin A and copper, if some of those nutrients are low because of a sad or standard American diet, um, that's going to cause major conversion issues. And not to forget like gluten and uh, inflammatory foods that can increase those immune antibodies you mentioned earlier that stimulate that autoimmune attack. And with diet then, if someone does have low T3, what are some of the things that you would recommend? Well, we're going to really improve the inflammation with food. We're going to increase the nutrient density. We're going to decrease toxins in the food. So of course, we're going to start off kind of on a a paleo template, maybe even an autoimmune paleo template where we're eating healthy proteins at every meal, healthy quality animal fats, fish oils, those kind of things, maybe some good plant fats like avocados or or um, coconut oil, good quality saturated and monounsaturated fats. We're going to be having healthy vegetables, non-starchy vegetables, maybe a little bit of low sugar fruit if tolerated, maybe a little bit of starch if tolerated. The reason why I put kind of an asterisk there is because insulin resistance is a big thyroid conversion issue. So if you're overweight or you know you have polycystic ovarian syndrome or surges of insulin issues, insulin can be a big factor at blocking thyroid conversion. And for those that may not be familiar, can you just briefly explain what insulin resistant is? Yeah, so imagine that you're a kid, right? You ring your neighbor, you ring your neighbor's doorbell and you kind of run away and hide, right? The neighbor opens up the door, no one's there. Okay, awesome. You're giggling behind the fence, whatever. You go back, you do it again. Now the neighbor's onto it. You know, they're not going to open their door. They're resistant to your knocking. So imagine insulin, it's the hormone that knocks on the door of the cell. It says, open up. I got glucose to come inside. The glucose comes in, it goes into the muscle, it gets stored as glycogen. Once that door is, once that door is full, it goes into the liver and then starts getting 
things to where it is fat. But you knock on that door too many times, it says, nope, you're not coming in. And the, the glucose or the insulin now stays in the bloodstream along with that glucose that can't get escorted inside. So then blood glucose starts to go up and up and up. And that creates lots of inflammation in the blood vessels. Okay, great. Thank you for explaining that. So basically what you're saying then is with the food, we, you know, if we have low T3, we want to look at some of the inflammatory things like certain food allergens like gluten and dairy and soy. And so that's where some of the the paleo or the AIP, which really focus on very low allergenic types of foods. And we want to look at the blood sugar and make sure that there's no insulin resistance because that also increases inflammation. Correct. Okay. Now, if someone does have insulin resistance, do you recommend working with food or are there any supplements that can help with that? You can always start with food. So people listening at home, they want action items. They want to start right away. So of course you can start with some of the foods, um, getting the carbohydrates under control, getting below a net 50 or net 30 maybe maybe needed. But again, when, you, when you're at this level, you really want to work with a functional medicine doctor that can help you. They can, they can run functional glucose tolerance tests for you to see how you're handling your glucose fasting one hour, two hours, three hours after your meal. Um, you want to be able to use certain nutrients, um, like you alluded to, to help with insulin sensitivity. They can make your receptor sites more sensitive, like certain B vitamins and magnesium and chromium and vanadium and bitter melon and um, gymnema. There's a lot of other herbal compounds and nutrients that have helped those um, insulin receptor sites. Plus, when you have high amounts of blood sugar, your Krebs cycle and your citric acid cycle, your mitochondria need to use more magnesium and B vitamins to essentially take and burn those nutrients. It's like using a credit card that has a very high transaction fee. So the transaction fee is the, the fee is sucking up all those nutrients that you may be taking in that create you, put you in nutrient debt. That's a great analogy. I really like that. Um, so then let's talk a little bit about the liver because a lot of conversion from T4 to T3 also happens there. So, you know, we know adrenal is a big thing. Inflammation is a big thing for low T3. What about liver? Tell us about that. So your liver makes that deiodinase enzyme, and that deiodinase enzyme is going to affect thyroid conversion. Remember, that's the enzyme that pulls one iodine off the T4 to make it T3. So that cleaving of one iodine, you know, that's what activates the thyroid hormone. So if we have liver dysfunction, it's possible that enzyme um, secretion may be impaired. Right, we know insulin resistance, and you know this non-alcoholic steatotic hepatitis, the fatty liver that we see, that can create liver sluggishness. Right, we also know if we have liver issues, we also may have bile issues because the liver and the gallbladder are connected. And if that happens, well, we're going to have a hard time breaking down fat-soluble vitamins, which are really important for thyroid function, like vitamin A and vitamin E and vitamin D. And if that happens, we probably have other issues like low stomach acid, which may make it hard for us to break down and ionize a lot of our minerals and break down our protein, which is actually needed to make our thyroid hormone. So you can see, you know, when the liver dysfunctions, so many other things start to happen. I tell my patients, you have the right to have more than one issue going on at the same time. And most do. Yes, yes. Um, it's such a cascade. But you know, I think that what's really good is that when you look at that one organ like the liver and you support that, then you're supporting everything else. So just like how things can really spiral downstream, the same thing can happen up. And I want people to really know that even though it may seem like, oh, wow, I now have a liver issue and a gut issue and an adrenal issue, you can support them sort of one by one and they help each other. It doesn't mean that you necessarily need a different supplement for each issue or a different diet or food plan you know, they all work together. 
Correct. And just being able to digest and absorb your, your good proteins, that's going to help make more glutathione. Glutathione is made from glutamine, cysteine, and glycine. Collagen, those kind of things are helpful. Of course, getting enough selenium. These, these actually help with making more of the healthy liver antioxidants that protect and tonify the liver. And of course, just not throwing things into your body that can affect the liver like glyphosate or Roundup or various pesticides, organochlorines, um, you know, things that you're going to have in the environment, uh, hormones and antibiotics that come from food or or conventional meat, these are going to be stressors on the liver. So it's not just what you can do to take to support it, it's what you can actually not take that could be stressing it out too. Mm-hmm. And we're exposed to so many things. And you know, obviously we can't live in a bubble, but there's so many simple things that we can do. Can you walk us through a couple of things that we can do right now that can help us to put less toxins in some of the foods that we can start to look for or some chemicals maybe we could look for on labels or ingredients to avoid? So definitely on the meat side, make sure we're trying to go organic pasture raised. So if we can at least do free range, that's better where it's antibiotic free, hormone free. So if you go to Whole Foods, like a step two on their, you know, scale in the uh, in the deli's good. So at least step two. If you can go step four, or step five, that's fine too. Um, yeah, that's even better because that's pasture fed, you know, single source, you know, those kind of things. All all humane, uh, humane humanely raised and killed. Those kind of things are better for the animal. Healthier animal equals a healthier you, right? And then obviously having the animal grass fed is going to mean it produces different nutrients, a higher quality omega threes, more gamma linoleic acids, um, good healthy fats. And these animals aren't going to have the antibiotics and pesticides that may get passed down to you through the meat and through the fat in the animal. You mentioned also glyphosate um, and Roundup. So uh, for those that may not be familiar, glyphosate is actually the active ingredient in it. Can you tell us a little bit about why it's so bad for us and some of the negative effects that it can have? Well, glyphosate, how it works is it's it's a chelator. So it hugs away a lot of the minerals in the soil. And then those minerals get deprived from whatever uh, whatever that weed is and it kills it kills the weed. Well, think about it. If number one, it's gonna deprive the minerals in the soil. So you're gonna have lower nutrient value um, produce, number one. Number two, glyphosate when consumed can create inflammation in the gut and it can open up those tight junctions, kind of like opening up you know, if you're wearing a jacket, unzipping that jacket, when that happens to your gut lining or your tight jun- tight junctions, we have what's called leaky gut or gastrointestinal permeability. That's going to allow undigested food particles to get into the bloodstream, stress out the immune system, and create immune system stress and can even predispose autoimmunity, which is the major reason why most people have a thyroid issue is their immune cells, their B cell lymphocytes are beating the crap out of their thyroid and your thyroid's taken a beating and that lowers the ability for your thyroid to produce healthy thyroid hormone levels. It's really amazing how much everything is related. And I always tell my patients, and I know you do the same, it's just everything about is so linked, but it's amazing to kind of hear it all. And, you know, here we are talking about someone who is experiencing fatigue and who seems like they have normal thyroid function just based on their TSH from their doctor. And then now we're saying, no, it's actually low T3. And, you know, the T3, in order for us to shift it, we really want to look at all of these things um, and, you know, support the body as a whole. Absolutely. Yep. We got to look at everything as a whole. And part of that is looking at the autoimmunity. We talked about the liver. That's one component, right? But we also talked about autoimmunity being another component. So we really got to put our on our 3D glasses to really look at all the ways our thyroid may function or dysfunction. 
you know, I think it's so important for people to really understand that it is such a multifaceted approach. But with that said, you know, I also want to make sure that people know that it, while it's multifaceted, it doesn't mean that it has to be very hard. You know, if you work with the right person who understands all that, you know, it's like we could put the puzzle pieces together and it makes sense. It's just it may seem very difficult when you're trying to go at it on your own. And, you know, I know how frustrating it is because I've been there and I know, you know, you have thyroid issues. You've been there to, um, you know, to deal with some of that without really knowing it. And that's really part of why, you know, I'm doing this podcast is to really help to explain to people that, you know, there's so many things that you can look at and you just don't want to take this one answer from one doctor to be the end all be all. 100%. And I think it's people's natural inclination to listen to these podcasts and, and gleam information. I think it's really important. You know, people like myself and you, we try to teach and really come up with analogies so people understand why. Because, you know, there's the old analogy of just doctor's orders, do this. But that's not going to breed compliance. That's not going to breed understanding of why you got here. When people really understand, they're able to um, they're able to follow through. They're able to be compliant. They're able to be good patients. Good patients get better results. And um, that creates lasting impact and change. And then because you're addressing the whole body, like in Sally's case, once we started doing that, not only did her energy improve drastically, but there was a lot of other things that happened that she didn't even really realize were kind of an issue because she was sort of used to it. So she noticed that she was sleeping better. Her immune system was better. She used to get colds a lot. And that's not something she really came in sort of complaining about. You know, she just really came in because of fatigue, but that she noticed she wasn't getting sick. When her kids would pick things up from school, she wouldn't get it anymore. Her nails were growing. Her hair was growing. And she didn't have hair loss per se, but she just noticed her hair was so much longer and shinier and her skin was clearer. Um, so there's a lot of things that, um, you know, a lot of benefits that you get. Your whole body really gets healthier as you do this multifaceted approach. 100%. Yeah. Well, Dr. J, thank you so much for being here. I'm so grateful for the work that you do and for all the information that you shared with us about thyroid. I really, really appreciate it. Um, and for my listeners, um, if they wanted to reach out to you, how can they find you? You can head over to justinhealth.com, my website, J-U-S-T-I-N-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. I have links there for my podcast and my YouTube channel. And I also do live Facebook and YouTube Q&As where I connect with hundreds of people live all over the world and provide information as well as live Q&As and a podcast and YouTube channel as well where we have hundreds of thousands of listeners. And if you want to di dive in deeper with me, you can always schedule a consult. I'm virtual so I can see patients all over the world if you want to dig in deeper and take that next step. Great. Thank you so much. And I'll post all of those links on my website. Dr. J, thank you so much for being here. Ina, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. As you can see, there's so many nitty gritty things about the thyroid and TSH is not the only important marker. Since so many doctors don't test for anything but TSH, as Dr. J explained, this is the reason why so many people are missed. I will tell you more about what we did for Sally in just a second, but first, if you want to contact or find out more about my guest, Dr. Justin Marcajani, please visit healthmysterysolve.com and go to episode number three. In this episode's show notes, you'll also find links to all of the other resources we discussed. So in Sally's case, she had what we call a thyroid conversion issue. Her TSH was good and her T4 was good, but her T3 was very low. It was only at 75. The lab's range for T3 is 76 to 180. So she was under that. And as Dr. J was explaining and what I always talk about is that the ranges are very, very wide. 
The more optimal range is taught by many thyroid experts, such as Dr. Datis Karazian. The optimal range is actually between 100 and 150. And so by these standards, she was even more off. No one tested her T3 until she came to me. Once we found out the low T3, we supported it with anti-inflammatory diet, which included lowering sugars and gluten. We also used one of my favorite supplements when we have a thyroid conversion issue called ThyroCNV. It's a synergistic blend of nutrients that are required to help conversion and includes zinc and selenium. We also supported Sally's liver since so much of the conversion happens in the liver with an anti-inflammatory diet and by doing a simple but very effective cleanse called a push-catch detox for 30 days. After just one month, Sally felt her energy increase. She no longer felt that afternoon slump, was able to go all day, and waking up in the morning became way easier. She was so happy to no longer be dragging throughout her day. If you have all of your thyroid numbers, and you see that your total T3 is below 100, and your free T3 is below 3, while your T4 and TSH are normal, it is very likely your thyroid issues are due to conversion, and doing what Sally did can be very helpful for you as well. Now, there are some cases where conversion is very, very slow and weak and may require a small dose of actual T3, a medication called Cytomel. Of course, you would need to speak to your doctor before taking or changing any medication. This is not usually a first choice, as so many cases can be fixed through diet and supplementation. But if those do not work after three months, Cytomel can be extremely helpful in those cases. It is very important to note that there's two types of thyroid hormone medications, Synthroid, which is T4, and Cytomel, which is T3. If you have a normal TSH and a normal T4, there's typically really no need for Synthroid in most cases. Synthroid is used in most cases because so many doctors just test for T4. However, if you have low T3, Synthroid is not likely going to help. What will happen is that if you can't convert T4 to T3, giving your body even more T4 is not going to make you convert any better. It will likely just drive your T4 higher. In general though, I find the natural solutions we just discussed work very well in most cases of low T3. To help you figure out what your thyroid is doing, please ask your doctor to run a full thyroid panel. This includes TSH, total T3, total T4, free T3, free T4, reverse T3, and thyroid antibodies. Those are TPO and thyroglobulin antibodies. I feel that the only way to really get a true picture of what's going on is to see all those levels. Otherwise, we're missing things. Any doctor that could prescribe blood work can run these levels. People typically ask their primary, an endocrinologist, even a gynecologist can run these. Once you find out which thyroid hormones are lacking, you are then able to really address it from the inside out. If you tested your thyroid and your doctor told you your thyroid is fine, but you still feel sluggish and have a hunch that something is going on like Sally did, please get a copy of your results and check to make sure all those markers were in fact tested. If Sally sounds like someone you know, please share this with them. And make sure you subscribe to this podcast because the next health mystery I uncover could be one you or someone you love is dealing with right now. When it comes to health mysteries, don't let someone tell you there's nothing you can do. The answers are out there and there is hope. I'm Ina Toppler. Thank you so much for listening. See you next week on Health Mystery Solved. All information, content, and material on this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to serve as a substitute for the consultation, diagnosis, and or medical treatment of a qualified physician or healthcare provider.